0: Welcome to this ESIP podcast. My name is Frederick Eriksson, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Alex Patelis, who is the chief economic advisor to Greece's prime minister, Kyriakos Mitsotakis. Alex has had a distinguished career in economics and finance. He did his PhD in economics in America under the supervision of Ben Bernanke, the former chair of the US Federal Reserve, and was deep into the weeds of monetary policy and asset returns. He's been at several big Wall Street institutions like Goldman Sachs and Merrill Lynch. And he was the chief economist at the macro hedge fund PSQR. And in 2010, he launched his own boutique advice and research consultancy. But it's now right at the heart of Greek and Europe economic policymaking. Alex, welcome to the podcast.
1: Uh, thank you so much, uh, Frederick. It's a great pleasure to be here.
0: So we're going to cover several issues in our conversation and we will come to future oriented economic issues for greece and europe in a while but i wanted us to start this discussion in greece and in its economy going into the pandemic some listeners and especially those outside europe may have the feeling that greece has fallen off the radar 10 years ago it was at the center of various eurozone crises and went through a really turbulent time in its economy its politics and of course its broader society. There were rescue packages from the IMF and the Eurozone. Greece's debt had to be renegotiated and restructured. Yet still, there was a lot of commentary suggesting that Greece wouldn't make it, that the austerity and debt servicing conditions were too harsh to be sustainable over time, and that its economic growth was going to be demoted to permanently low expectations. So, Alex, can we start here? What has happened after the tumultuous years, and how was the economy performing when the pandemic started?
1: Thank you so much, uh, Frederick. So, uh, indeed, when the pandemic started, there was a broad expectation amongst many that uh, Greece would underperform economically. And I remember uh, analyses that said that uh, there was too much of a large uh, tourist sector. Actually, if you look at what happened since, uh, GDP in Greece in the third quarter of 2021 had already exceeded its pre pandemic level um, ahead of other euro area countries. And in fact, if you look at unemployment, it's down four points since before the pandemic, which again is uh, a notable outlier um, in the European Union. Deposits are up nearly 40 billion. Remember, this is a country that saw significant deposit flight. Uh, we've seen strong business formation uh, pick up in uh, exports and also in investments. So, um, as you said, what happened? What changed? Uh, the current government came to power in the summer of 2019 on a uh, platform that I would describe as uh, forming three parts of a triangle. And let me explain what I mean. On the one side, uh, the triangle had uh, a shift in the fiscal mix. So. This meant let's not overtax the middle class. Let's try to abide by our fiscal targets, but do tax cuts that are a little bit more intelligent and thoughtful and structural. And we used the uh, space that was provided by the pandemic to also push through some of the structural tax changes. For example, uh, social security contributions have been uh, reduced uh, by nearly four points. The so-called solidarity income tax surcharge has been abolished. So that's tax on salaried income went down to encourage employment. And, and as we've seen, that's that's been working. And also uh, on capital, a reduction in the uh, corporate income tax rates to 22% from 28. Dividend tax rate, 5% now. And also special incentives for people to come back to Greece from overseas, uh, have your income tax-free if you relocate back to Greece uh, for seven years. Uh, special non dom regime now in place, family offices regime. So that's sort of the one side of the triangle. The other side, I would say, is fixing the banks. And I hope to have an opportunity to talk more about this. But basically, uh, the banks in 2019 had over half their uh, loans were bad loans. And today, uh, this year, the NPE ratio is going to be single digit. So clearing up the banking system was a very important part of that triangle. And then the third part of the triangle was uh, and continues to be reforms. Uh, This government uh, won the election on a platform of reforming the economy. The people were tired after uh, many years of crisis. They were tired after many years of populism and wanted a government that would get things done. And uh, there have been over 250 bills uh, passed through parliament since uh, summer 2019. I would say in conclusion that it's uh, rare to find a government uh, in power today that's both cutting taxes, and doing reforms, and that uh, is probably behind uh, what's happening in Greece today. Uh,
0: Indeed. No, I think it's it's a very impressive record that you have to show for yourself, and also when you go in to look at the, the economic data, I mean, you can see some Immediate consequences of it, both looking as you some of the indicators you mentioned. But uh, one thing that I wouldn't say it surprised me, but but um, the scale of it was a little bit surprising. Was to see the uh, manufacturing output and and growth in manufacturing yeah. exports, and has been very strong for for Greece, and not just during the pandemic, but for a few years. So that's that's for sure, quite positive signs. And I, I, I was going to ask you. So I mean, you came into government. What is it, eight months before the pandemic started? I mean, how how many reforms did you have time to do until you were basically throw, thrown back into the world of chaos and the world of crisis again?
1: Um, no, the reforms have been continuing throughout the whole time. There has not actually been a letdown. And in fact, ministers continue to complain because when they have a bill ready, there's a queue of bills that have to be submitted through Parliament first before their bill comes up. And there's always a little bit of satisfaction with that. So, you know, the pandemic, um, as they say, let's not uh, let a good crisis go to waste, was an opportunity to drive through uh, quite a few things, I would say, digitization globally, but but particularly in Greece. The Prime Minister created a Ministry for Digital Reform, which was... A uh, novelty, and uh, with the objective of digitizing the Greek state, uh, the pandemic came along and made that um, an easier uh, call to make on on people. Although today, if you look at the popularity um, of the government, if you ask people, you know what's what's the one thing that they're really, really, really happy about from the current government? It would be the g- digitization effort, and for example, the vaccination. Uh, program was entirely digital, there was no paperwork at all, and this dig- the vaccination certificate was digital from the beginning, um, and people have grown to trust um, government as a result, which is very uh, important if you want to continue to make changes. But in response to your uh, original question, I should say that the Prime Minister spent a lot of time when he was leader of the opposition preparing for the moment he would become Prime Minister. And a lot of the stuff um, had already been uh, prepared and ready, ready to sort of roll out.
0: Indeed, and there has been so much commentary throughout the pandemic, which has been pointing to different type of risks associated with Greece. But it's a it's an issue that comes up every now and then, and maybe sort of that the discussion now is focusing more on different underlying financial fiscal and debt risks in Italy but you can still hear voices that are making the argument that the debt situation in Greece remains a bit shaky and that the debt to gdp ratio is too high and that it will have to come down substantially for the greek economy to thrive what's what's your response to that type of commentary
1: so Um, I would say that um, if the pandemic was an opportunity for the country to um, shatter some of the crisis image it had, because it was a global shock, it affected all the countries more or less the same way. And in that sense, um, it helped us overcome prejudices and preconceptions. It's possible that the upcoming global tightening that we're going to see around the world with higher interest rates is going to be an opportunity for Greece to permanently shatter um, what you just described. So it is our view that when the dust settles two or three years from now and interest rates are higher globally, that Greece uh, will will outperform on a relative basis. And let me explain uh, why I think that's the case. First of all, the structure of the debt is different. It is a very unique structure. It's a 20-year average duration uh, in fact, the gross financing needs of uh, the government remain below 10% of GDP for the foreseeable future. In most countries, um, you know that number is much higher. And uh, the bulk of the, the vast majority of the government debt has been fixed uh, through asset swaps, and the average interest rate on it today is 1.4%. Uh, furthermore, the private economy... Uh, because it was in a crisis for so long, hasn't really developed any type of overborrowing or has not really been through a credit binge, as has been the case elsewhere. So what I think is going to happen is that as interest rates go up globally, obviously the cost of debt will go up globally as well, but it will go up by less in Greece and it will have a smaller effect um, on the economy than in other countries. Uh, furthermore, in any debt to GDP analysis, the denominator matters as well, if not more than the numerator. So here it's important to uh, continue to accelerate the trend growth of the country. And if you manage to do that, then your uh, debt to GDP will come down sharply. I should mention here that we have a, a target. We've, we've called it actually a national target uh, in public TV. We have a target of achieving investment grade in 2023. Uh, We want to do that. If you look at the drivers of what makes rating agencies uh, tick, they're basically three. You need to have debt to GDP on a clearly declining uh, trend. And we think that this will become apparent in 2022, both because the deficit uh, that uh, appeared during the pandemic um, is going to disappear. We have a target of minus 1.4% for the primary uh, deficit this year and a surplus next year, and because the denominator, as I mentioned, we believe uh, GDP growth will exceed expectations. Secondarily, the rating agencies look at the banking system, and as I mentioned, single digit NPEs this year and further work on that. And then, thirdly, reforms. So uh, the government will continue on its uh, reform path. And um, if, as we expect, we get investment grade next year, this will also be, let's say, uh, a seal of approval, so to speak, that the difficult years are firmly behind us.
0: You were mentioning the denominator there and and said that um, growth is likely to exceed expectations. So w- w- what are your expectations for growth in the next couple of years?
1: So our official forecast for this year is a growth of four and a half percent. But I should mention that, you know, we have a pure carryover effect from the fact that in 2021, the lockdown, sorry, the country was in lockdown for five months, more or less. We have the rebound in tourism that's going to be um, significant. We believe we might even exceed the 2019 level. Uh, We have the effects from uh, Greece 2.0, the uh, Greece's recovery and resilience plan. Uh, We've penciled in uh, 3.5 billion, but it could be higher. And then we have the organic growth. But I should say that... People underestimate the amount of uh, reforms that have taken place. And maybe um, if you would like me to, I could spend some time uh, talking about some of these uh, reforms.
0: Yeah, um, no, please please do. I think that could be useful.
1: So it's a number of stuff. I mentioned digitization, digitizing the, the Greek state. That's an ongoing process. For example, now we have a project to digitize court documents and digitize uh, the land registry and the the, uh, pension system and other stuff. Um, 5G was launched in Greece earlier than elsewhere with the tender and a quarter of the proceeds from the 5G license were used to create an innovative fund called Festos that is investing in 5G services. Um, In the banks, we had the Hercules scheme to reduce NPEs, but also um, there was a very important bill on uh, insolvency law that was passed that basically... Uh, created a restructuring and a bankruptcy process uh, for Greece, which is in line with the European Union recommendations. Uh, before, effectively, if you didn't do well and you were and, and, and you had too much debt, you really it was very difficult for you to get out of it. Now we have a clear restructuring process and a clear bankruptcy process. If that fails, the electricity company, the public power corporation, was basically bankrupt. It had losses of over a billion euro in 2019 and new management was appointed uh, from the private sector restructuring the company and this came to a great success last year when PPC raised 1.4 billion euro in the markets also to finance its expansion in uh, renewable energies uh, energy and elsewhere. Uh, We've also had privatizations uh, sale last year of 49% stake in the uh, electricity distribution network and um, uh, the concession for Egnat uh, Aldos We have another concession coming up this year for the Akio Dos. Uh, the banks also raised capital last year. Perez Bank 1.3 billion, Alpha Bank 0.8 billion. There's been a big reform on uh, universities uh, reducing the number of people who enter into uh, universities and increasing the number of people who go into technical education because there was a very clear gap there. Um, We have also a very important bill was on labor market reform from last year that included many, many, many different, many different articles um, on making labor markets more competitive. Uh, A bill on the simplification of the business environment, uh, reducing red tape and bureaucracy. And uh, also another very important change was the so-called supplementary pension system the uh, was completely reformed and moved from a, is moving from a um pay as you go uh defined uh, benefit system uh towards a fully funded defined uh, contribution system and this is a big change that will ensure that the pension system uh doesn't go bankrupt again in the future so uh, there's a lot of stuff happening we have ahead of us uh, for example, the uh, employment agency reform of the employment agency and the skilling and reskilling system, and there's a lot of work still to be done on justice reform because justice is still too slow in Greece. Uh, but the what I what I want to conclude with is that the uh, desire to continue reforming is there.
0: Indeed, uh, that's a very impressive record, Alex. Let's continue on that note, but perhaps talk a little bit about Europe and. And Greece in the context of Europe and um, what development that we can see ahead of us in the future. So we are nearing what is hopefully the end of the pandemic, or at least we're going to enter a new period where we're going to live together with the virus in a way that allows for a return to more normal economic activity. There is a a broad economic rebound, there was a broad economic rebound uh, around Europe after 2020 last year, and then it was muted again, of course, um, when Restrictions had to be imposed again, um, but the underlying figure seems to be telling us that uh, sort of output is 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 going to enter into much better situations in 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 the first two quarters of the, of, of this year than there were last year. Still, there are some serious questions remaining about the long-term growth rates uh, in Europe and the underlying economic oomph in the economy. For example, the productivity performance. We are now in a process with an EU-oriented process where uh, the EU has uh, taken up uh, money on capital markets and are giving grants and loans to member states in order to support long-term growth uh, as well as the recovery from the pandemic. And part of that, of course, includes greening the economy and making the economy much more digital. So if we take a look at at this program and its general constructions, and we uh, have a discussion around what you think is needed, what I'm particularly interested in, when you look around Europe today, you already talked about Greece, but when you look around Europe today, what, what do you think should be the a balance between fiscal measures and structural measures? I mean, when I look around Europe, I don't see many countries that are as supportive of structural reforms as the government in Greece. So what do you think is needed at the European level?
1: Thank you. I think, to be totally honest with you, what is needed is a continuation along the path that we already are. Let me explain what I mean. There's already a debate about whether the fiscal stability pact should be reformed or adjusted. Um, I think, um, irrespective of what your personal opinion is as to what should happen, I would say the debate is being uh, conducted in a very constructive manner, and I have no doubt that the final output uh, will be the right one. On the recovery and resilience uh, facility, which you mentioned, um, this is a huge experiment and one that's very important. It's very important that this experiment succeeds. And I would say it addresses uh, several uh, issues at the same time. It addresses supporting the economy after the pandemic, as you mentioned. It addresses structural reforms, uh, but it also addresses addresses what I would call coordination failures. So, for example, in the green agenda, if you want 27 countries to follow a particular path, it's very difficult to do so if each country um, is on its own. But when you uh, force, uh, let's say, a plan, uh, such as the r f through um, and I say forcing quotation marks, then um you can have coordination and you can say, okay, each country needs to have for example uh more uh charging stations for electric vehicles, a better interconnection of electricity networks et cetera so i and I, I do think that um the, the, there is a good balance there's probably an argument to make a lot of these processes simpler. In many, many things, there are at the moment uh, very convoluted. And there are a number of processes um, that are uh, somewhat overlapping, for example, the European semester and the RRF and the structural funds, etc. And there's a way to make everything uh, simpler while, while keeping the same objective. But having been in the committee that designed Greece's program Greece 2.0 for the recovery and resilience plan. I have to say that I was very impressed by how the, uh, we managed to combine national objectives with the uh, commission objectives as well. So, uh we very much based our plan on uh, economics, uh, uh, a team under Nobel laureate Cerelis uh, developed a strategy we already had the government's plan as well, and that we already had the country-specific recommendations by the Commission and put all of these together to come up with, uh, with the RRP. I'm sure there's going to be lessons learned from this exercise when it concludes in 2026. And uh, presumably, if it's successful, then there will be a desire to replicate it in the future. Uh, but, uh, you know, the European experiment has always been Experiment that has taken place over decades, not months. And so we have to put, um, you know, the horse before the cart. And so at the moment, we are focused on making sure that we're implementing our RRP correctly. And I do think in response to your question that that when 2026 comes along and all the RRPs have concluded, there will be a pressure on countries that did not do as well to uh, be more competent next time such an opportunity arises. And I think ha- that's how the discipline uh, will emerge over time.
0: Indeed. No, it's it's um, a classic uh, two-step dance always. Um, you take uh, two steps forward and one step back sometimes in, in the evolution of new institutions and policy behavior. I think, I mean, for me, looking at the mix of fiscal measures and structural measures uh, in around Europe today, and of course also in in the policies that are managed by institutions in Europe, one thing that strikes me a bit is that we are now not putting a lot of emphasis on, on the broad structural reform agenda. We don't have, I don't think this commission or anyone is calling for, a plan to raise competitiveness. Um, I don't see... That much uh, discussions around deepening the single market in order to generate some better productivity growth through that 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 policy. So w- w- when when you sort of having having the, the the ambitious Greek reform program in mind, when you when you take a look at policies that are emanating from Brussels, do you think that there should be sort of a few more components in there that would help to drive structural change as well?
1: Um, Absolutely. I mean, Greece will, another change, I would say, to uh, the way Greece is operating today is that we want to also be a a contributor to the debate, to the global debate. Uh, One area where there's clearly more that needs to be done is on the digital divide between um, Europe um, and, let's say, the United States. Um, And it's clear that uh, we need to have more competition um, in the digital area, or at least... To be able to support competition in the same way that we have created competition in other markets. There's a fascinating book by a French economist called Philippe who's currently at NYU, called um, I think it's called The Great um, uh, Great Divide or something like that. I've forgotten the, the reversal. Name. The reversals. Thank you. But his main argument is that the European Union, courtesy of teach commerce, today a much more competitive uh, capitalist uh, market than the United States, where uh, where oligopolies have, uh, through lobbyists, have basically taken over Washington. And so um, there is quite a lot to be said about Europe and how we can continue to push this, um, this framework of a level playing field and competition in other areas as well. And uh, there is also, um, although we have had a lot of work done on Fit for 55 and climate change, it's pretty clear that there's still uh, a lot of work to be done, particularly how do you protect the more vulnerable uh, parts of the population? Um, and as we discovered this year through the the energy crisis, how do you um, reduce volatility in energy prices? And that means, obviously, you need a lot more uh, strategic storage and you really need much better interconnectedness. And I, su- I should say here that uh, Greece is also pushing forward for uh, greater interconnectedness with uh, potentially new sources of energy um, in the Middle East and in North Africa, uh, whether it will be renewable energy or whether it will be hydrogen. And um, we plan on uh, on becoming a gateway uh, for these new cheap sources of energy in the future.
0: So let's move finally, Alex, to talk a little bit about um, uh, the euro. Um, the ECB and the monetary institutions we have. First, I mean, it must be um, an exciting period for you, having spent so much time on the financial markets, indeed doing a a PhD on monetary policy and asset returns, looking at the broad monetary expansion that we've seen over the past years and how it's uh, influenced the shape of asset markets and, and financial markets more broadly. So I perhaps would would, uh, pick a few uh, ideas from you there. But what I wanted to ask you is, I mean, we've been in a a pretty, I wouldn't call it a stable economy macroeconomically, but at least our inflation has been low. Uh, We've been fighting deflation risks rather than inflation risks. And now we seem to be turning a corner uh, with inflation uh, rising. And some are suggesting that Um, inflation is going to rise even more, while others take a more moderate view and, and suggest that the inflation pressures are going to slow down during this year and it may not need a strong reaction coming from central banks. So how do you think this development is going to play out? I mean, are we now entering a new type of macroeconomic environment where sort of the rules of the game that we've learned over the past 20, 30 years has to be changed, where we are entering a period of substantially higher interest, perhaps? Uh, And if so, what do you think the consequences are going to be for, uh, for the eurozone and for the euro corporation? Would we need to start experimenting with additional policies in order to make the system stronger?
1: Thank you very much. This is a very difficult question, and I should start by saying, you know, when people ask uh, why did Greece stay in the euro, there were many reasons for that. Uh, One of them is uh, the European institutions, which have a lot of credibility, um, the ECB being one of them. And And I understand and appreciate the ECB has a very difficult job ahead in judging whether inflation is temporary or permanent or how exactly to react to it. But if you look at other countries which don't have such strong independent institutions, you can see very clearly how you can veer off on a tangent. And I'm, I, I'm thinking, for example, of our neighbor Turkey, which has now uh, double-digit inflation and uh, currency instability. So as a Greek, I would say let's, let's uh, trust the ECB and see how it works. It's not clear to me that there is uh, any particular need in changing the framework at the moment. I would add, however, that the past decade, the 2010s, um, hopefully was an exception rather than the norm. And what I mean by that is that during that decade, inflation persistently undershot um, the target, and at the same time, negative interest rates, which were introduced in 2014 as a temporary measure, um, continued to uh, are with us, I'm sorry, even today. And in any kind of equilibrium um, economic growth model that, that of the type that you learn uh, in grad school, it's very difficult, very, very difficult to come up with negative interest rates as an equilibrium. Um, it can only be seen as something temporary and it leads to all kinds of bizarre outcomes. For example, you know, Danish mortgages being priced at negative where you'll be paid to buy a house. So I would say that um, it we should all uh, welcome the eventual eventual i'm sorry uh, resumption of interest rates to quote unquote normal what normal is is still to be determined TBP but normal is not minus minus zero point five percent having said that, the um, sharp increase in inflation um, in twenty one and twenty two creates a lot of challenges for governments around the world. We have we as Greece went through um, a period of populism. We, we And it's very important to not go through that again. And so as a government, we have to continue protecting, protecting the more vulnerable um, uh, citizens against the negative effects of inflation um, and to make sure that inflation doesn't uh, veer out of control. Um, I do think, however, that for Greece at least, uh, inflation in Greece will continue to be lower than the euro area average simply because we have still... Uh, labor market slack and unemployment rate that's still too high Um, and a little bit of inflation increase is not such a bad thing given um, it reduces the real value of the nominal debt but as a whole I would say um, we trust the ECB and um, we'll see what they do and um, give them the benefit of the doubt.
0: And if you would, um, for a moment, put your old um, academic or perhaps even financial market hat back on and uh, think about what, what would you have told students or clients if they were confronted with a situation like this? Are we? Is the scenario now that it's profoundly monetary policy and especially uh, money expansion that has been driving the rise in inflation? Or are we talking about more underlying uh, features Perhaps in the global economy that is going to be with us for a long time and depress. Oh, sorry, and to lead to no. pressures no. on costs going up. So, for instance, demographic changes in Asia, broader economic slowdowns, global economy in the global economy that uh, uh, is is going to lead to less credit being thrown around uh, uh, on financial markets, etc. So, what what would be your your broad outlook here?
1: Thank you. Top question. I'm not a big fan of demographics simply because they tend to change very slowly, and it's sort of a lot of times hindsight. And I would say in the current juncture, um, again in hindsight, it's sort of pretty straightforward as an economist to explain what happened. And what happened was that we had an exogenous shock, the pandemic, global shock, and we had very strong reaction by both monetary and fiscal policy globally. Again, because both central banks and governments learned from uh, prior crises that um, uh, too uh, small of a reaction runs the risk of uh, sustaining unemployment and low inflation. So this time we had a very strong reaction. And was that appropriate or inappropriate? Only time will tell. But um, it led to some of it spilled over um, into prices. Now, going forward, I have no doubt that the central bank's will mop that excess liquidity, You know whether they do it slowly or, or quickly is a different question, but they'll mop it up. The real fundamental difficulty, I think, that lies ahead is that um, the global economy is embarking on a new uh, recovery, a new economic cycle from a relatively low level of unemployment rate and relatively um, low labor market slack, whereas typically after recessions, you embark on cycles with a lot of labor market slack. And as a result, it's much more difficult to envision a situation where interest rates will remain low as long as they did um, in the previous cycle. So when the inflation debate is uh, settled, which I think it will be sooner or later, um, the real question mark that will remain will be how much slack is there in the global economy to continue to grow um, with um, w- without um, further creating inflation, and here I will maybe it 's a good opportunity to uh, conclude our conversation and go back to the beginning. It will be very important for countries to continue to undertake structural reforms because that 's really the only way to improve your trend growth uh, without creating inflation
0: indeed it's it's it 's a tough challenge um, and i 'm glad we ended on that point point because that um, Uh, should prompt us to have a discussion again at some time in the future. Thank you so much, Alex. This has been a great pleasure talking to you. And I wish you all the best with your impressive work in, in Athens.